0: This is episode number 324, Reinvent Yourself with Dave Crane. Welcome. My name is Oleg Loheed, and this is the Overcoming Ads Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, Help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your full potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First announcement being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming three-day experience in Austin, Texas, on October seventh called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, is a three-day experience where you'll get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout groups that are intended to help you identify your fears and ways to turn them into strengths. If you'd like to know more details regarding this particular experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for connecting and and thank you for being patient, I guess, with me or whatever the process was, because I mentioned to you earlier, you and I connected well over two years ago. And for one reason or another, something happened along the way where we weren't able to have this sit down. So I'm grateful that we're able
1: to do it now. Let's if blame anything. on COVID. COVID hijacked our <laughs> interview. Two years of, of, of- Drive, but now we're here.
0: Which is it re- it redefined time to say the least. I'm I'm curious to have this conversation for many different reasons, but one of them is when you and I were first speaking and I had asked you the question of what is your greatest fear? And you had mentioned this concept of not being able to take care <coughs> of your family. And I'm I'm very curious to hear from you. And maybe the best way that we can even start this off is to understand where does that fear originate from? Is that something that you were missing as a child? Is it something that was instilled within you by your parents, by your grandparents, and, or whoever else within your life, the importance of taking care of others? And then from there, why is that still a fear of yours?
1: Wow, what a fascinating question. And completely timely. Literally, before we had this conversation, mm-hmm. I was on a Zoom call with my mother and the lawyer interpreting the will of my father who died about five, six months ago to work out exactly what the the, the, the um, inheritance of my mother was because it, uh, everything passes straight up to her. And so um, I said to my mom, look, everything goes to you. She's going, no, 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 I've got to give stuff out. And I say, no, trust me, dad would never have wanted that. And that sort of is the answer to this, because I grew up in an amazingly wonderful um, family where my mom and dad couldn't, they, they never made us want for it. We weren't rich, mm. but they always gave us love. And when they could, they gave us stuff. And I never felt anything, but one day if I want something more than what they give me, I'll have to work for it. My parents always looked after us and it was, it was fantastic. So I was very lucky that way. I realized that maybe it was my rose tinted glasses that allowed me to feel that way. But I always felt that most important thing is being happy in your own skin. And that wasn't always the case for me. Mm-hmm. Growing up, uh, my parents are mixed. My father's white, my mom's black. Uh, we always grew up in, in white areas. And so as a direct result of that, um, I, was never, I never really fitted in easily or comfortably. If you grow up and you're a black guy in the middle of like white areas, you, and it's the same for if you, if you stand out differently. It could be if you've got red hair or a big nose or anything, it's the same thing. But, but, but mine's more prominent, shall we say. And you either become really good at fighting, or you become really funny, or you become really good at running. I was good at running, and I was very funny. So I could get on with <laughs> people. Um, mm-hmm. It became like my martial arts, which later on in life, that ability to engage people very quickly and work out their Wi-Fi code is why I've <coughs> become very good at entertainment, and I can host an, an event with 50,000 people in the audience without blinking because I can work out exactly what they want because I'm very good at doing it. And it was like my superpower from a very early age. So the biggest fear that I have is because I've idolized my parents and they, as I say, they didn't create um, a palace for us to live in. They just gave us a safe space and lots of love. And I would be horrified to not be able to do that for my family, which is my beautiful wife Aziza, my gorgeous daughter Maya, and my two dogs who just demand too much food and demand walks. Literally, (laughs) they'll be like, yeah, but why do you take so long? And so. for me, it's very important to be able to provide and keep them safe uh, and get my daughter to a stage as while there's breath in my body so she can one day leave and she doesn't have to come back. And maybe I don't want her to come back when she leaves. But um, I, I wanted to have the best upbringing and the best experiences that we can give her in the time that we have. Now, here's where it gets really interesting because the pandemic that we joked about earlier, yeah. not only did it take my father about five, five six months ago, But it also, when it hits, as an entertainer, I speak on stages around the world. I coach politicians, CEOs, decision makers, ambassadors to be able to speak on stages. That was my main job, hosting Mm -hmm. big big events and speaking, like the Olympics team. And I hosted Dubai Rugby Sevens for 20 years and and all sorts of events like that. And my wife was a wedding photographer, award-winning wedding photographer. Both of us are people jobs. We go out, we see audiences, we do stuff, we get paid, pay bills, happy days. Mm-hmm. With immediate effects, everything disappeared. No, ing- no income from what we were trained and what we have done for many years for about 18 plus months. At least. So we had to then reinvent ourselves and go from zero income, because we had a bit of savings, but that disappeared after a couple of months of just normal living, because we didn't expect to be in that. I mean, my job, I'm always being employed. I've been in Dubai 30 years. So in Dubai, 30 years, everybody knows me. Dave, have got an event, phone call. Don't even have to advertise. It's word of mouth. But when all that dries up, then fear really kicks in. So I ended up, and my wife did too, I ended up going, first of all, on to create a TV show called The Toilet Paper Diaries with a friend of mine in, in Houston. We went live every day. Within four days of, of lockdown, we had a TV show. Um, and we, we, we ran it for about 100 episodes, going live every day for the first 50 days. I mean, we staggered it every week. And I did about 200 live broadcasts during the last two years. And it was all basically because if you're not going out and doing gigs, you need to be on radars. Even if there's nothing coming in, people need to see you're there. Otherwise, it's out of sight and out of mind. So I spent about 12 hours every day posting, connecting, phone calls, chasing, Until I came up with a business model to reinvent myself, and it was the industry icon program. So instead of training people to speak and teach them a little bit about branding, I realized there's no speaking gigs, no demand to be trained to speak, but people needed to be a brand. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I started working with people to grow their brand, uh, decision makers. So then even if we didn't come out of lockdown, because I expected this whole thing to be over in like two weeks two weeks, three weeks for a couple of countries, done. It's just, it's just a a nasty cold that everyone's going to catch at some point, but the the, the cavalry will save us. And it didn't happen like that. And so we had to come up with with something that would pay bills, bearing in mind it had to be online. So we had to recreate ourselves to be able to be an online thing. So Aziza, my, my beautiful wife, she's from Singapore, and I never really gave it a thought, but Singapore, like Japan, is one of these countries where everyone is tech mad. Now everybody everywhere is tech mad, but these guys are given from birth something to play with. Now everyone's given from birth, but it was only them. And so he reinvented herself as this incredible online guru, creating websites, sales funnels, emails, all everything. And it's been a journey for us to create what we've got now, which is a game changers community, which is now a community of people all around the world where we, it's a membership group, where if we ever go for a pandemic or anything like that, again, we've got really smart people who would all get in a huddle and say, right, guys, this is what we do. Because that's what was missing. We were isolated. We, we, and who do you ask? We've never been for a pandemic in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't expect, I mean, I say we don't expect to go through it again. If I did go through it again, to be honest with you, apart from obviously what we caught, um, I could deal with it because I now have a completely independent uh, business of my speaking career. That allows me to be in any country, to talk to anybody, and all I need is access to my laptop. Let me give you a very quick demo of this. So mm-hmm. literally, when I start my TV show, um, I can now go live for my, my uh, late-night TV studio. and So that awesome. allows me to just broadcast like this. And, and as you can see, I could be doing the, the Letterman show or the late-night with Dave Crane, <laughs> it it is to be. I can do it all from there. I've got my daytime, which is what I do when I'm talking to my broadcast people, um, depending on where the, the, the time is. When I talk to my game changers community, rather than having something so formal, I wanted to do it in a coffee shop. So wow. the ability to do all this stuff and also create cool. really effective ways of reaching people. So, for instance, if we swap to this now, I mean, if I if I go full screen here, then I can go to uh, talk about the events that I'm going to be hosting uh, in fact, if I go to a small version of a mini-me, I can go through the events I'm hosting over the next couple of uh, days, next mm-hmm. week, big event called Capsat. Now, I'm not saying it's say, look at me, I'm doing a big event. But what I'm saying is I had to really reinvent every single thing. So if I can't go out to gigs, when the gigs come to me, then I've got it completely controlled. And so that was very important. So. To answer with the longest possible answer, which I've done about. (laughs) I fear, I I don't fear things. One day when I die, I'm gone. And uh, I really hope at that time I'm not in the driving seat, because that's really bad for everybody else streaming in the back. But I'm not worried. If I, if my life ended tomorrow, happy days. I've had a good time. I've enjoyed it. I've given. I, I couldn't do any more with the, the, the minutes and seconds and hours and years that I got that I'm doing right now. I push myself all the time, but I also have realized the importance of of taking a foot off the break sometimes and chilling out. So I've discovered weekends for the first time in my life where I just don't do anything because otherwise, if you're working twenty four seven like I did, for I I, I got burnout after about 16 uh, months of just working solid, trying to keep income coming in and looking after everything, um, I realized that maybe you can walk rather than run sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not scared of anything. Everything that comes along, there's challenges all the time. There's events that cancel, people who cancel, all the stuff you got in business is always going to cost twice as much and take twice as long to arrive. But I love it and I enjoy it and I relish it because it's a challenge for reinvention and uh, what's better than that?
0: Dave, I'm curious. There are many things that you mentioned that I I have questions and, and perspectives. First, I all your questions night. <laughs> as as a dog owner myself, I, I could completely relate in regard to the whole concept of the never-ending walks and, and the food. And and yeah. hey, at the same time, it, it allows me to take a break when I do similar things. It sounds like you have, and that's just push, 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 only to realize that there is no such thing as a weekend. So I've recently just rediscovered this similar concept in my life, the the concept of a Saturday and Sunday, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be able to do that. I'm curious when in speaking about this concept of reinvention, I know that based on my experience of you, much of what you share with the rest of the world revolves around mindset. In reinventing oneself, where did you begin? What was that initial thought? that allowed, allowed you to understand that reinvention is possible despite of the circumstances that you were going through?
1: Great question. I think that the biggest wake-up call I ever had, and I can't remember the age or when it happened because I maybe would be able to if I thought about it longer, but mm-hmm. it was just when I realized that everything in my life is my fault. And if I, if I want anyone to fix it, I've got to look at me first. Nobody has to help. Nobody needs to care. Nobody does. Nobody does care what they. I mean, it's even like, you know, if you ask somebody, why did they give money to charity? They give money to charity because it makes them feel good to give it away. It's always about them. Yeah. It's not because they love giving money to charity. It's giving the money to charity makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. So it's all going to be about if you do stuff, you have got to think about what's in it for them. And so for me, it was really a case of going, I'm on my own now. How am I going to fix this? And I think, but probably the the first time it happened that I can put my finger on is when I dropped out of university. I was studying law, and I didn't mean to study law. I did it because it made my parents happy. And I went away, and I hated it. And um, when I sat down with my careers teacher, and they ask you before your exams start. I was about 15 years old. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? Yeah. I don't know. Meet girls, get drunk, party, and and, and, and watch TV. I don't know. <laughs> 15 a superhero whatever so um, I said I want to to be famous I want to be on TV and radio and I want to to be able to go out and and meet pop stars and and film stars and stuff and she looked through her book because there was no internet in those days it was you know it was a candle because I'm really old Um, so she looked through her book and she said I don't have anything like that in here so Mm. you have to choose something else so I chose be a lot well I want to be a doctor but I didn't like the idea of blood least of all my own and then I chose law because it made everybody shut up so if you mm-hmm. say I'm going to be a lawyer, they'll go, wow, really? Yes, I am, but I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. I went away, enjoyed uh, about a year of law. I mean, I realized that it was all about studying on your own, which mm-hmm. at the time I, I was 18 years old, I just discovered what it's like to live away from home. Why would I want <laughs> to be in a room with books, please? So um, when I dropped out, I, I did my year twice, and um i realized that i hated it and i didn't want to be there and so i got a chance to have a think about what i really wanted to do and uh i wanted to go back to what i wanted originally which is to be an entertainer so i left my law degree to go to the holiday resorts in the uk to become an entertainer and as you can imagine my parents went oh that's a really good move all that money <laughs> it didn't. Uh, but I thrived on it and I went back to university later to get my postgraduate diploma in radio journalism, and got a job with the BBC, or at least I was freelancing at the BBC for a number of years. And that led to where I am right now. So that whole journey and its ups and downs and all the rest of it have been brilliant because I look back at it and I go, oh my goodness, this is, it is the best thing that could have happened. Mm. Can I share something with you to illustrate of this? Because it's something that with my Game Changes and Industry Icon program, I've really been analyzing this. So- for instance, when it comes to reinvention, and this is what I do when I teach people how to become industry icons in their mm-hmm. industry, the first stage is being aware that things are not right. I don't know what's wrong, but somehow I don't feel comfortable because I, I, I'm doing something wrong, but I'm not sure. So it's awareness that's the biggest challenge. Then you look around and you say, I want to aspire to something bigger and better. And the aspiration bit comes in. So you're not sure, but you're looking around at people who are are gatekeepers or examples of where you want to be. So you start looking at them. And then you start working towards it. So you're driving it and it's an upward curve because you're on your own. You're in the wilderness. You're not really sure where it's going, but you do know where you don't want to be. And you know that if you keep going in towards that light of wherever you really want to be, then you'll find it better. Then you get to a position where you're thinking, right, I'm doing I'm doing this quite well now. I'm driving it really well, but I know that I'm in the wrong place, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm just not positioned well. So you've got to reposition yourself and discover who it is you are and what it is that you're doing and who your target audience is and what it is that you want to get out of your life. And then once you should work that out, number five, you start refining it. So you start working out, oh, if in that case, I'm not going to look after all these people. This is my target audience. I'll just do this for them, and I'll only do that bit because that's all they want. I don't need to do all the rest of it. And then when you've done it well enough, then number six is owning that space. So you're only known for one thing, and the ultimate is that your name becomes a verb. So people turn around and say, right, I'm going to do a Dave Crane on this event. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to go out, own it, make everybody laugh, have a great time, but make sure everyone comes out of it. Do you know what I mean? So so yeah. like if we talk about Elon Musk, what does an Elon Musk do? What does a Keanu Reeves do? It, when you become that verb, then that's important. So the reason I shared it with you is because I think it's very important to understand um, the processes that you've gone through and also understand that you can go through these processes and there is a formula and there are stages to be able to get it.
0: I really like your point of awareness that you brought up within that because this morning, I was listening to an audio audio slash video interview of Mel Robbins. And one of the things that you mentioned in that video that I found so profound or reaffirming of the ways that I thought before is being able to recognize and understand yourself and your own behaviors so you can understand the surrounding world. And I think it's very similar to what you just described as far as having that level of awareness I'm a huge believer, or in the recent years, I started to believe more when it comes to one's purpose. It's for me, in my opinion, it's about defining and then refining it over time, defining a point that I could start from, but understanding that it's not going to be defined for the rest of my life. It's going to be refined over time. For me, I found that to be more important rather than waiting for that perfect moment, right? I don't know what your experience has been like, but my experience has definitely taught me that if I choose to wait, I'll wait for the rest of my life. Everything that you just described as far as COVID-19 hitting and you going through all the circumstances that you did, similar to my journey as well as a public speaker, all of a sudden schools closed, universities were no longer hiring, emails kept coming in saying canceled, canceled, canceled. Not even postponed, not even rescheduled, just done. like we're not having this in the near future. And I had the same exact mindset at the time, thinking that this is going to last a week, thinking that this may be two weeks at best. And then all of a sudden, I noticed we're going to one year, two years, now going into three years. And things are slowly picking up. And I think what you just described as far as having that point where you became aware of what was working equally as what wasn't working. And then from there started to take action. That's been one of my biggest barriers that I've had to overcome in my life is I'm a thinker. I love to sit there and think. I love to overthink. I love to overanalyze. And what I realized was the only way for me to break through that was to take action. Now, I may not always know the entire how, which is another complexity of someone like myself who thinks is I love to see the whole roadmap before I choose to take the first step. Yep. And then I started to realize that all I could all I could do is take the first step.
1: The yeah, second step the- is an
0: assumption. I have you no take- idea whether step- or not it's going to be the same. If
1: you step in the wrong direction, why are you going in that direction? That's a problem. That is true. Yeah. Can, the- I, can I ask you a question? Do you know about the hedgehog concept? Are you aware of the hedgehog? I concept? do not. Mm-mm. Right. So this is what I used when I when I meet people and we in a conversation about what do I do, what should I do. I mm-hmm. share this with them. So this is taken from a couple of books by a guy called Jim Collins. He's written Good to Great and Built to Last, both brilliant books. And he talks about what makes a company last for a hundred years. And so hundred years means that you've got a founder who creates the company, then you've got the children who take over, and then you've got the grandchildren who've always been rich who don't want to run a company or a factory they just want to be kardashians and and so how do you work out what the company does or what people do and this is how to reinvent yourself and i think that it may be something that you can help people with by the whole concept of it i didn't invent it i'm just sharing it and there's another Mm -hmm. one called ikigai with four circles but this is the easiest to explain so the first circle and it's called the hedgehog concept because a hedgehog is a pretty, like a porcupine, pretty boring rodent, I guess, unless you, <laughs> unless you are one, in which case you go, we're great, What are you? or Sonic. Sonic's pretty mm. Um, But a hedgehog doesn't do much of anything. It's, it lives in the garden in the UK, eats whatever it eats, plants or, or insects, whatever. But when nature's made it, so when it's in danger, it curls up into a ball with its spikes on the outside and nothing can get at it. It's been made perfectly by, apart from crossing the road, it's not very good at that, but the rest of it, mm-hmm. nothing can get at it. So you've got to work out what's your natural hedgehog. And this is how you do it. The blue circle here is what are you potentially the best in the world at doing? What can you do so well, that when, people, when when you're working on a project and people say, well, who's going to do that? You say, leave that to me, I can take care of that. I'm brilliant at it, leave it. So you can own that space. The red circle is what are you passionate about? What do you love doing? you never get bored of it. You could do it 24-7 and you always got more energy because it invigorates you. Mm. And the third one, the green one, is what will people pay for? Because you need to pay bills. So what will people invest in? Get all three together and that's what you do for the rest of your life. And then you go on that journey which I shared here, which is to, start moving along that path there. Can you explain
0: briefly as far as the difference between why the passion and what you're best at is not enough to complete the full diagram?
1: Yep. Let's, let's go for each of them. So let's take somebody, for instance, um, who's brilliant at what they do. Mm-hmm. It pays really well, but their heart's not in it. Let's take an example working on the stock exchange. So you're in your late 20s. Every day is buy, sell, buy, sell, and everyone's really stressed up and all the rest of it. You're really good at doing it. You make a load of money, but you're stressed, you drink heavily, and you're burnt out by the age of mid-30s. And after that point, you're almost like a shell because you're so, I mean, I know lots of people like this. So your heart's not in it. You make lots of money. You're really good at it, but you don't love it. So that's not great. But so there we go. So you're rich but bored, as I put it over there. So supposing you've got something you're passionate about, you're really good at it, but nobody wants to buy it. So I'm the best origami um, flapping bird maker on the planet. I can make flapping birds out of any size bit of paper, and people love it, but nobody wants to pay for it. So it ends up being not sustainable. I'm never going to have any bills paid, even though I'm brilliant at it. Or you can have um, something that pays really well, something I love, like, for instance, playing football, but I'm 54. I'm a fat old bloke. I wouldn't even be able to play for, for my local town. Well, Dubai, mm-hmm. certainly not. So I'm not brilliant at it. When I was younger, I was okay. I played for my town and my region, but certainly not now. So it's not enough having two things. Passion, yes. Pays really well, not going to pay me. You've got to get all three for it to work. And then once you've got all three, so what am I brilliant at? Engaging live audiences. Mm -hmm. I can do anything with a live audience, and I'm very good at working out people's Wi-Fi code and working out what makes them successful. What do I love to do? Help people. And what about getting paid? Well, I need to work with people who can afford my services, who then can help other people. And so with that, it works really well. So let's take that, for instance, that was before pandemic. I had to review, and I review this all the time. If I can't do gigs and get paid for doing gigs and teaching people how to become great speakers, what can I do? I can teach people to brand and get paid to to teach high-end people who are very good at what they do, but Mm -hmm. nobody knows who they are how to rebrand themselves and push themselves to become industry icons. And that's how I I did it. So I see your brain whirring as you're looking at this. Do you want to to talk about what's going on in your head?
0: No, I just, uh, there are a couple of things that came to mind. The first one is something that I've been curious about for maybe a couple couple of years. And I remember when I first sat down with myself five to six years ago, and I had this realization where I wanted to start pursuing some sense of purpose, some sense of passion. And the challenge that I faced at the time, which seems to be a challenge that some of the other people face that we have conversations with, or that listen to the show is how do you even identify what that passion, what you are best at. And I'm curious to hear from you. What is the fine line between relying on other people's perspectives of what they think you're, you're good at. And then you doing your own self-assessment of those things.
1: Brilliant question. Sometimes you're too close to yourself to be able to do it effectively. It's like Mm -hmm. a fish looking for water. You say, but you're in it. No, it's too obvious. It can't be that answer. But you're in (laughs) water. It's true, though. Um, It's very true. So here's here's how you work it. And this is why your brand becomes really important. So when you work out your brand, you're actually taking a snapshot of who you are and start nurturing it. So think about it here. The green circle is what you want people to think about you. The Mm. red circle. What you don't want people to think about you. And the yellow one is what they currently think of you. So therefore, the brand of who you are means you do more of what you want people to think of you and less of what you don't want people to think of you. When you start putting that self-awareness from a commercial mm-hmm. point of view and a relationship point of view together with this original document, which is what are you brilliant and What are you passionate about? I mean, to answer this, if I was sitting with a client, I'd say, mm-hmm. right, in your own time, because sometimes I go through it with them, but sometimes they need to go away for a while. Write down a list. One column, what are you brilliant at? One column, what do you love to do? And what column, who will pe- who will pay for that? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's unsustainable. You can't get people to pay for it. And sometimes sometimes it's looking at the lowest hanging fruit in the garden. So for instance, the lowest hanging fruit is really important if you wanted to make something from fruit and in a fruit garden, an orchard or whatever, and you say, right, I want to do coconuts. I want to make something from coconuts. And it's at the top of this massive uh, uh, palm tree and you don't know how to get a ladder. You're going to fall a, a few times after you climb. You say, but I want to do coconuts. And I said to you, but, but look at the floor. There's strawberries there. Yeah, but I want strawberries. Yeah, but if you get strawberries now, you can pick them without any danger. You can make jam, milkshakes, do mm. yoghurt. And... If you start doing that, you might find there's a market for you. And if you start doing that and there's a market for you, why not just become the king of strawberries Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: just own that market? Forget that. And so later on, you can review, do I still need the coconuts? The odds are you don't because you found a route to market that works really well. You can use your expertise. You were going to use on the coconuts and create a strawberry empire instead. Mm.
0: I love that analogy because I think that's, That's the challenge that I was running into for many years now that I think about it, wanting to create or grow the coconuts instead of looking at the low hanging fruit and understanding that there are already skills and passions and talents that are easily accessible to me. And I think that what you just described and the whole model that you took us through as far as understanding what are you best at, what are the passions and who would pay for it, the last part of it. That's one of the areas that I have a questions for you, question for you about, and that is, do you believe a lot of that boils down to confidence? Because I've learned that many of the people that I've had conversations with, they're not able to answer that question. And I wonder if it's because they don't feel confident in the thing that they're doing or they're undermining the value that the thing that they do can provide
1: to the other people. Yeah, what you're talking about is imposter syndrome. Mm. Imposter syndrome is that bit that hijacks you that tells you I'm not as good as I think I am, and Mm -hmm. as a direct result of that. And something like 92% of people, I believe, have imposter syndrome. They've got a little voice inside their head that just says, Don't do it, you make a fool of yourself. Nobody wants to work with you, they all think you're a bit of an idiot, and so on and so forth. And so, I found a way to be able to deal with imposter syndrome, and I'll just have, have to find it here to share it with you. Um, and hopefully once I've done that, it'll make perfect sense. Because I realized after lockdown, what happened to me was was very, very interesting because I ended up in a situation where I managed to get my act together. I managed to work out who I was and what I do. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I find myself, I didn't have the actual strength of character after, after the, the, the stress of, of 18 months of hardly having any income, work, anything. I wasn't ready to hit the ground running because most people who were in a tech space didn't even notice a the pandemic. They worked yeah. from home. They just did what they did, and they, they, if anything, they probably made more money because they didn't have to worry about all that stuff. For me, it was a very different prospect, and I, I guess for you, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, just indulge me a while I go through a couple of slides here. Right. So, imposter syndrome. Let's go through it quickly. It miss one of my favorite shows moment. Ted, like, <laughs> I haven't his, seen it yet, but I heard okay. it's very good do treat yourself. You will eat it up like a bag of sweets and you'll just go <laughs> because this guy is, is being thrown into the deep end. He's an American sports coach who the lady on the, on the right of him or the left of him, depending how you see it is mm-hmm. the wife of a owner of an English football club who, who inherits the club. And she brings in the most unrealistic uh, manager to look after it for her. So it mm-hmm. goes down the tubes. And he turns out to be an unbelievably nice guy, rubbish at football, but really good at people. And so you go on this journey with him and it's funny. I mean, it's it's wicked funny, but it's also heartwarming and makes you cry every episode. <laughs> and that's why it's won unbelievable BAFTAs and Golden Globes, whatever it's won, just because it's brilliant TV. So anyway, he's a perfect example about somebody who's a fish out of water, but his belief system allows him to carry on. So... With that, you're born in a certain challenging way. We can't choose how we live. We can't choose where we're born, what color we are, how rich we are, who we're connected to. We can't choose our religion. We can later on, but we're born a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, our gender preference, our physicality. Some people are fit, some aren't. Your traditions and your your influence on the world. These are things that you can maybe alter a bit, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're able to just choose. Some people find it easier than others, but what mm-hmm. you can choose is what you do next about it. The one superpower you have is your choice. What am I going to do next? So with this, what choices are you going to make to get what you want? So let me experience and share with you about the whole reinvention point, because this is important. Mm -hmm. Your inner game is what we're talking about. Your imposter syndrome is all part of that inner game. So how can you reframe your game to get much better results? So let me share with you how this works. I'll go through these slides quite quickly because I want to make sure that we get to the most important thing about creating the best version of you. So if we are talking about creating the best version of you, this is what I had to do. Because I'm a very good entertainer. I can stand on stages everywhere. But I had nothing left in the tank after 18 months. I didn't have this reserve of happy because I'd been really bad for such a long time and really unhappy for such a long time. I didn't know how to deal with it. I think around about that time, i lost my father as well. So I had nothing left. So I realized that what I can do is ask myself better questions. So the question here uh, is very simple: How would you would you like to reframe and reinvent yourself and discover your superpower? So are you going to say something before I move on? What was the question?
0: No, no, no. I don't. I'm just. I'm. I'm following through it. Keep going.
1: So you've got three versions of you, and this is where I was getting to in a long-winded but hopefully effective way. You're born <laughs> with a birth certificate that says mm-hmm. you. XYZ. So mine said I was David Maxwell Crane, and this was my parents. And the way that I've set it is, it looks like I'm not sure if it's a, that I look like a baby in a red circle, or I look like my <laughs> anyway, full-grown like version of it, <laughs> a freaky version of all of it. So anyway, David Maxwell Crane was my birth certificate name. And out of David Maxwell Crane, through my experiences of going to school and the fights and and growing up and happiness and success and bad stuff and girlfriends and all this stuff, you end up inventing your second stage version of you, which is ultimately what comes down to your social media version of you. Mm -hmm. This is the name you put out. So Dave Crane was born out of David Maxwell Crane. Nobody calls me David. And nobody calls me David Maxwell anyway. Most people don't know that name exists. So um, this is Dave Crane. My wife, Aziza, my daughter, Maya. And and I realized that this Dave Crane, successful, worked with lots of big stars, done lots of stuff. CV looks amazing. But the big challenge for that, for this guy is he didn't have enough in the tank. So I thought, how, how am I going to make sure that I can step back up and hit the ground running? Because people now need you to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'll say, we'll get somebody else in. And I realized that what if it was a third version of me? And this third version of me is your superhero version. your your power name. Now, let me explain this. The thing I do better than anybody is if you give me a microphone and an audience, I will step up and I'll be brilliant. I'll go up on stage and I'll knock everybody for six. And uh, the thing is, I make snap decisions very quickly. If sponsors want something to be done, I'll get it done. But at the same time, if somebody steps in my way, I'll make sure they move out the way in the nicest spot. Nobody stops me. I get from A to Z, I make the event work. If the audience won't sing and dance, I will keep asking until they get (laughs) up. I'm serious, and that's what I do. And so to give you a very quick illustration, and I'll return back to this in a moment, but therefore I created this version of me, Max. Max Mm -hmm. is the name I gave to the version of me that goes on stage and, and is unstoppable made out my middle name. If I'd been a DJ again, I probably would have called myself Max, like Madonna or Seal. <laughs> but I already got Dave Crane, so that's what I stuck with. Because Max doesn't put up with any rubbish from anybody. And I realized that what I had to do was ask myself, with all the questions that I was having doubts about, because obviously I've got to pay for my family. If I'm chasing a client and the client's not paying me, I said, well, why don't I ask Max what he would do? Because Dave Crane mm. goes, give him a bit more time. I thought, I'll ask Max. And Max said to me, give him a deadline, tell him that you're busy. If he doesn't do it within that time, just let him go. Say, sorry, I'm too busy. and Let it go. And he'll either come back to you and say, no, 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 please. Or they'll go, in which case they were never interested anyway. So I had to ask Max, but I had to go with whatever Max said. Because if I crushed Max by saying, I'm not listening to you, then I would kill Max. So I had to go with it. And so I found that there's a deep side of me that was able to move forward faster. Now, let me give you a very quick illustration of what Max really is. So all this time, I thought that Dave Crane was the guy doing this. But mm-hmm. when I get to that top level, it was actually Max. And so I found that I was in a really good position by creating that, that third version of me. And it's all me. Nobody knows the difference. It's not like a, suddenly put on a hat or, or a cloak. <laughs> None of that. Nobody knows. And it's still the same me, but you're able to reinvent yourself. And I found that imposter syndrome became funny. So mm-hmm. all it became to me was, what would Max say? Tell him to kiss your ass. Mm. And I'd just do something with it. Or I'd walk away. Don't put up with people's rubbish. But I found that the, the Dave Crane uh, would maybe feel a little bit conscious or a little bit worried about stuff. And I'm not saying I turn into a horror horror story with it, but I'm able to step my game up and do the right thing for me and my family and the people around me by letting Max make those decisions.
0: And that's a huge skill to carry over, at least in my opinion it is, the ability to say no and the ability to stand true according to you, what you believe to be true. I found that many times throughout my own life, when I was first starting the career of public speaking, I was accepting anything and everything. And I think there is a purpose to that. Don't get me wrong. I think there was a purpose to it because my purpose that I identified at the time was to be able to practice and hone in my craft as much as possible before I'm able to say that this is the price and there's no ifs or, no ifs or buts. And I'm realizing that the same as far as what you just described, having that ability, it's a skill that one develops over time. The ability, exactly, it's a muscle. And I think what you just described as far as being able to flip the script, so to speak, and put everything on the individual that approached you initially and ask themselves the internal question of, do I really want Dave as X, Y, and Z that's part of my experience. It makes them reevaluate.
1: And it also, you've got to ask yourself that, that I only I've got certain rules in life that I do, and, and I won't go through it in this interview, but I'm happy to do it in a future interview. But one mm-hmm. of them is: oh, fight battles you know you can win. Why? Why are you fighting a battle that you've got no say over? So, for instance, I mean, here's here's one of the things. And this this is be, be really important for everybody who's your your target market. If you've been working on a project and You've put your heart and soul into it. The client's really interested in it, and you've done everything. And then last minute, they turn around and say, "Oh, we're going to go with somebody else." Hmm. What do you do?
0: That's a good question. That's a question I'm, for me. I'm asking you, or like I put you on the spot. What do you do? <laughs> the The first question is that would be very unfortunate to hear, if I'm being honest. But if I'm being put in that position and considering the level of work that I've done, I would say that there is a conversation about proper compensation, if I'm being honest.
1: Good luck with that. How often does that work for you? I would say to a degree.
0: I haven't had many of those conversations, but almost every single one of them. And I, think there is a, I, I also think there is a right approach to doing it. I, I don't think for me the approach is, okay, I've poured in this many hours, this is what you guys owe me. But more so, I think the conversation of, well, we've gotten this far, this is what I've been able to bring. What value can you add for me in return? And it doesn't hey. have to be necessarily the monetary, unless monetary is the only one that I'm looking I'm looking to. But I think there are multiple ways to add value out of any given instance.
1: I should have clarified. It's a great answer, by the way. I should have clarified it. This is at the proposal stage. This is not after you've been working on a project and they've dumped you because you're absolutely right. You need, you do deserve compensation. And to be honest with you, I would never have done it unless I'd been paid up front anyway. Yeah. So if you've got to walk away, that's their tough luck. We're not getting a refund. they have already spent on on sitting at the beach and drinking tequila or whatever. Um, not <laughs> that I do that. I don't even sit at the beach. I don't even like tequila. But, but here's the thing. At the proposal stage, when you're, when you're pitching clients and they maybe jump through hoops and have meetings, if, if they turn around to me and say, Dave, and I've had it many times, especially recently, Dave, um, we've decided to go in a different direction. Here's what I do. I go, okay, next. That's Yeah, it. at that oh. point, you're right. Because if I carry it... I carry that poison inside and I start thinking it it must be me. I made a mistake and I'm not good enough. And all the imposter syndrome goes, we're here. We told you you were rubbish instead by just going, okay, next. You kill that straight away. Now doing a post-mortem makes sense. What did I do wrong? Could I have changed it? Could I make it better? If you can go back to the client and say say to them, you know what? I'm really upset that we didn't get a chance to work together, but I, I completely honor your right to choose. Can I ask you a question? What is it? that I did wrong that made you make that decision not to work with me mm. just so I can make sure that I don't make that mistake in the future mm-hmm. now this is really powerful because here's a way to use it you send this as a message when people don't answer your messages you say I realize you don't want to work with me no hard feelings but can I just ask you why you decided not to And you get a response in five minutes. Oh, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. We're really busy. But at the same point, if you don't ask, you don't get. So many of the people who listen to this haven't got a job. So you're going for job interview, job interview, job interview, and after a number of times getting turned down and not getting a response, especially when it's all computerised, you go for a job interview wearing your best gear. Didn't get the gig, but nobody asks why. Sorry, could you tell me why I didn't get the gig? Yeah. Yeah, because of this, this, and this. Okay. And sometimes you get another callback because you ask that question. And sometimes if you fix it, the next job or the next job or the next job, you get closer to fixing. So you have to ask, you have to get feedback. But equally so, sometimes you just got to go, that client was an idiot. Goodbye. (laughs) Next, (laughs) you got to move on.
0: I think there is also within the feedback component, though, what I've learned through my journey is, A, not everyone will always give you the honest feedback. So not everyone will always tell you that, X, Y, and Z were the things that did not fulfill whatever criteria. As you described earlier, right? Someone responds saying, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes I've learned, and I've even learned this from some of my closest friends. When I ask them for feedback, they don't choose to give me the full honest truth because they don't want to hurt my feelings. They don't want to change the trajectory of a friendship or a relationship. And that's what I realized throughout my own life.
1: Friends and family are different because you want them to be honest with you, but at the same time, there's a number of different checks and balances in place. And sometimes you, you I mean, you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. My family are utterly bonkers. My immediate family, my wife, my daughter, my dogs, and my mom are all fantastic in, in, at levels, but I would do anything for them. Outside of that, it's crazy. But I do have a number of, of family members who I love a lot, and, uh, but all of my friends, that I choose to be, I mean, I used to say that all the friends that I could choose, you could count in one hand. And a thing called a, an airport test. If something happened to me, and I had to rely on somebody to get my family to the airport, because I live in Dubai, but I'm from the UK. So I had to get them to an airport to, to escape. Could I trust that person if I was no longer available or I was incapacitated or dead to do the right thing by my family? If that, the answer is yes, and they are the real friends that you can rely on that they passed the airport test. And most people can't, but there's a handful that can. So, for instance, when my dad passed, and you see me on LinkedIn and on social media, a lot of people know me and stuff, blah, blah, blah. When my dad passed, I got lots of commiserations from people. Oh, Dave, if there's anything we can do, contact me. Two of my friends on the planet called me and said, Talk to me, Dave. What's going on? Everybody else waited for me to talk to them and call them. I'm a guy. I'm not going to call them and cry.
0: Yeah.
1: I was broken. I was just in bits. I'm, I'm carrying my family, looking after my mom and keeping the whole thing afloat. But they called me. And it makes you think, God, how many people are there for you? And I realized it was my mistake. I Because the nature of being on stage, and you'll get this as a speaker anyway, I'm a massive introvert. On stage, I'm a king of everything. I'm a complete extrovert. But off stage, I don't need to prove myself. Why am I doing it? So if I'm a group of people, I'll happily sit at the back. Because if I, take, if I want to take over, I'll just own it. I don't want to do that. I want to see other people and chill out. So I realized that I had to reinvent exactly what my relationship is with the outside world because I didn't have enough close friends. I'd do a gig and go home. And I know everybody, but who really knows me? Everyone thinks, oh, Dave's doing fine. And so therefore, he, he'd probably be, if I call and say, Dave, do you want to catch up? He'd probably go, No, I'm too busy. Who the hell do you think you are? And I realized that that was my mistake. So now I've changed that. Now I do talk to people. Now if I go out to an event or something, I'll make a point of looking around and making contact with people, swapping the WhatsApp with the handful. I don't want stalkers, the handful of people that I really like. We'll take a photo so we know who each other is. And what I do with them is I send them social media posts, not to have them comment or like or anything but if there's a social media post that's all about friendship or community or inspiration or motivation I think that it's what I would like to say to them I send it to them and say look if you you don't have to do anything with it you can delete me if you want but I want you to know that it really matters to me that I want to share this with you and that's been a new thing for me and I've not done it for, for decades because I, when you're in a, in a married relationship you you look at your wife is my mirror she'll tell me if I look rubbish when I go out. She'll tell me if I've got stuff to do, but sometimes you need world outside of that as well. And so now I'm working on that. Does that answer your question? My answer is really long. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite color? Let me tell you about my
0: favorite color. No, Dave, I, I really enjoy having this conversation with you because A, this is the thing that adds fuel to my tank. Conversations like this, where I'm able to go deep, where I'm able to step into a space where I don't know certain things about life which happens to be quite a bit, because I'm genuinely curious about the whole concept of life. And so for me, it's good. it always starts with a question. Why does a person think the way that they do? What do they face as far as fears and obstacles and all these things go? But out of respect for both of our time, what are some ways that people can connect with you? I know you briefly mentioned the events that you have coming up. Any
1: way that people can find out more information about them? Yeah. Here's the thing, and this is what I would recommend everyone to do. I, I mean, when I work with the industry icon program, then obviously that I, I sell my time, so it's expensive. But with my game changers, so I've created the game changers, who look like this. Let me share. So the game changers is a community of people all around the world who is a membership group. So all the stuff I've shared with you right now, I do regular um um coaching sessions q a sessions group sessions i share content the stuff i did with a hedgehog and all the rest of it the idea is at the moment i created a a, a founding members group about a week and a half ago and we got 20 members in there and they're all graduates of my industry icon program or decision makers really high quality people the aim is to have a thousand people around the world so nobody ever gets left outside Nobody ever feels that they're not part of some kind of community. So if people connect with me on LinkedIn, just to follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see my posts, which will inspire hopefully and get them to, to enjoy things I'm sharing. But we'll see things about the game changes as well. I'll go to my website, speak on stage, because everything's there. I teach people to speak, how to position themselves, how to think differently. Connect with me in some way, shape or form. And even if you just want to observe me, there's enough stuff out there that I give for free that will make your day better. But if you really want to be on the inside, join this community of game changers because i mean me and my, my wife are working our high knees off to make it all come together because i don't want anybody to feel the way that i felt for two years where the world ended people were laughing because they were doing fine and there was nobody out there who said you're an entertainer and there's nothing going all the entertainers go we're fine we're fine we're, 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 i'm yes. working at mcdonald's now uh but uh, you know it's by choice well of course it's by choice you have to eat but I will never allow people who connect with me and not everyone's going to connect with me and that's fine as well. But the game changes as a way that I, I reach out and I help create a community of people who are there for each other all across the globe. And that's my, my passion. And I appreciate you for doing everything that you do. I mentioned to you
0: earlier, I've came across your LinkedIn. I think it was initially. And then from there was able to pay attention and, and ask questions and learn more about who you are in the background. Now, I will also say that you've given me significantly more information about who you are in today's conversation than anything I've ever experienced. Well, that's also a choice, right? Like I could have gone dug deeper, but at the same time, what you provided to today and what you chose to share is just exceptional. And so I just want to thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. It's been an honor and a pleasure. and i'm I'm relatively happy in my own skin. Mm. So, I learned a lot with the pandemic. I also learned about my relationship with being mixed race mm-hmm. and also learned about the way that the world is right now. And it's heading in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Um, and it, I, I really feel that here's the thing. And I think that you may feel the same, but I'm not going to ask much about it. I'm sure you share it at the right time. For me, I realize that there's people who look at me and say, Dave, you're, you're prominent. You're a man of color can you please say something about this? And so I don't make it all I talk about because I think that would put me into a corner and then people, I would offend people maybe. But what I do is when I do need to step up, I will make sure that I say what I need to to help the people who are looking up. And I look at a lot of the the people of colour in positions, Trevor Noah, put that out there, but you've got Beyonce's and Jay-Z's and a million other people who very rarely bring it up as a subject. Now they're protecting their legacy, I get that. But we're all doing what we need to do. And so for me, I I don't mind being transparent. I have nothing to hide, but I only put out what I want to share with people. I don't need to tell people what they don't need to know. But other than that, the thing about lying is if you don't tell the truth, you've got to make up a lie for every lie. And that's about 15 lies for every lie. Mm And then another 15 for every of those 15. It's easier to be transparent. I mean, happy days and move on. And so that's what I do.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.